Welcome to another podcast from Cranfield, colour like no other. Cranfield are based in the UK where we manufacture artist paints and printmaking inks. The theme of this podcast is something which I personally find fascinating. Books and films have been made about the life and times of Han van Megeren, but my interest was stirred as a younger man when, through Cranfield's membership of CPI, which is the Association of European Art Material Manufacturers, I spent time with a chemist from Windsor and Newton before he retired. And my friend was particularly knowledgeable and well-informed, and because he himself was nearing the end of a very long career in the industry, he had worked with people who were around at the time when Han van Megeren managed to fool not only the trade, not only customers, but paint manufacturers and art critics too. So who was Han van Megeren? Well, he died at the age of 58 of a heart attack before serving the relatively lenient sentence of just one year that had been handed down to him. He was most definitely not a lovable rogue. He wasn't even a particularly brilliant forger. What is inspiring us is the length he went to to really understand the ageing process within oil paints and then to develop that extraordinary knowledge of pigment and paint to produce things which, in terms of their technology, even if not the artwork itself, was startling. But let's start at the very beginning. We're never going to get to the pronunciation right, but uh, please forgive me if I change Han van Megeren's surname each time I say it. But he was born on the 10th of October in 1889, and as a youngster he enjoyed art. But firstly he decided to study architecture. Even he conceded he wasn't very good at it. He was okay, but both of his parents were teachers. One taught French and the other taught history. And neither of them encouraged him to express his art. In fact, his father, who appears to be rather a brutish bully, actually prevented him from developing his artistic skills. The British poet Philip Larkin writes very rudely that we can blame our parents for almost every conceivable ill. But maybe there is some truth in Han's case, as his father often forced him to write out lines a hundred times, I know nothing. I am nothing. I am capable of nothing. What a revolting father. But this poor lad, growing up in that negative atmosphere, eventually met an art teacher called Bartus Kirtling, who changed everything. I hope they called him Barty. It'd be easier for me if they did. But I'm going to call him Barty. He'd been inspired as an art teacher by the old Dutch masters. And in turn, he inspired Han to make his own and mix his own shades of oil paints. But really, Bart was not a lover of anything modern, which he saw as decadent. Don't forget that this was the time between the wars when there was growing anti-Jewish sentiment, when works by Gustav Klimt were seen and known as degenerate art. And Bartus Kirtling's attitude really rubbed off on Han, who rebuffed all contemporary styles of painting. 
and he continued exclusively in the manner of the Dutch Golden Age. He learned an awful lot during this period, but he wasn't strong enough nor free enough to stand up to his father and say that exactly what he wanted to do with his life. Instead, he felt compelled to plod on with his architectural studies in the town of Delft. Now, Van Meegren may have been okay as an architect, and I believe there's a boathouse for a rowing club that still stands to this day, something that he designed. But in 1913, Van Meegren gave up architecture to move to The Hague to start at art school. And perhaps he had an advantage as an architect, because initially he did very well at art college because his studies were so accurate, as one might expect from an architect. He did a study of an interior of a church, the Church of St Lawrence in Rotterdam, and it awarded him a gold medal because it was so very accurate. And it was whilst at uh, university or college there that he met and married a fellow art student called Anna. And this really was the starting point of his artistic career. But it was to be very short-lived as a legitimate painter. He did a bit of teaching, he sketched posters, he painted pictures for the commercial art trade, along with Christmas cards. He did some still-life landscapes and portraits, that sort of thing. Now, we said that his respectable career was short-lived as a legitimate painter. Strangely, and for all the wrong reasons, many of those paintings from that time are very valuable today, even though the art is pretty poor, because of their association with this most fascinating of forger. And they're most certainly not valuable because of the quality of their art. But through this period, one gets a feeling that he was an unhappy young man. He was unhappy with his work and with his life. He was often cross with his clients. Now, they generally liked what he produced, but he himself felt that he was producing what was demanded at a great and unseemly speed, and he just didn't like it. During this time, too, drug habits and a general debauched behaviour followed, as did infidelity, which led to divorce in 1923. Now, Han now had quite a few costs to his name. His first wife, Anna, was living in Paris with his children. His second wife and daughter all needed to be funded. And it was in this drunken and increasingly desperate situation that the forgeries started to trickle. Now, they only started as an accident because his first copies were legitimate for forgeries in, in 1923. Now, you might be scratching your head and saying, well, what do you mean by legitimate forgeries? Well, he painted two pictures in 1923 openly in the style of the Dutch painter, a man called Frank Hals. They weren't in any way pretending to be by Frank Hals. They were very good copies and people knew what they were. But it gave him an idea. It would have been the end of it if Han had not been offered criticism. It wasn't criticism that he sought nor liked. It seems that Han van Meegeren was both petulant and easily angered and agitated by criticism. The modernist art world was now interested in cubism and surrealism, so that 
he could do little more than copy other artists and when he did he really was laughed at and one critic said of him Han van Meegeren has very little virtue certainly he does not have originality now our Han showed his temper and he wrote a number of really angry articles which were published in the art press and thereby instantly he lost any love between him and remaining art critics. And he was so angry that he set out to prove the world wrong, that he could do more than simply copy the old masters of years gone by. And he decided that he would paint an artwork that was so brilliant it would rival the old masters. And there's a possibility, even at that stage, he didn't intend to sell it or make money from it. It was anger which fired him. He moved to the south of France, and he prepared his world in order to complete what he saw as the ultimate forgery. This, this was no small task. In fact, it took five years from 1932 to 1937 just to get everything in place before he even started. Now, he started on a small work, a little exercise, before finally commencing on the painting that really set him for the next few years. It was a painting in the style of Vermeer. And it was technically a masterpiece. Now, it may seem strange to us, because now, for us, both the life and the times of Vermeer and his paintings are well known. You may have seen or read The Girl with the Pearl Earring, or perhaps seen Vermeer's, uh, Vermeer's work in galleries. But at the time, his work wasn't widely recognised. The paintings, the books, the novels and the films followed later, but in the 1930s he was still quite obscure. Han started with the textbooks, studying the personal lives, the tastes, the techniques, the skills, the few remaining examples of the old masters that weren't in private ownership. Where possible he went to see them, and then he set about emulating them. He was also greatly excited at the discovery of a genuine Vermeer around the same time as he was planning his forgery, which was brought out of obscurity and then was sold for a great sum of money. Now, almost in the stuff of novels or thrillers, he rented a mansion and he set about developing a really clever procedure to create the perfect forgeries. His foundation was brilliant. Brilliant rather than good, I should say. He started by using authentic 17th century canvases. He went around buying old paintings. The worse they were, the better they were for him, because it meant they were cheaper, and it didn't matter if he painted over them. And he started to make his own paints from raw materials, such as lapis lazuli and white lead and indigo, using old formulas to ensure the result was really authentic. He created his own paint brushes using um, badger hair and the like. But best of all, he came up with an ingenious idea. And I have no idea what inspired him. He used Bakelite. Bakelite, you may recall, is the stuff of old telephones, old red saucepan handles, that kind of thing. You may remember it from your childhood around the home. Door handles, too, were made out of Bakelite, all sorts of things. It was the precursor to modern plastic. Well, he would take Bakelite and he'd grind it up 
and he'd mix it with oil paints. Now, as the oil paint hardened after application, the Bakelite would begin to crack and it would make the paint appear as if it was 300 years old. After producing a painting, to speed up that cracking process, he put it into a brilliant homemade, well, pizza oven, for want of a better word, which he ran at 100 degrees. Now, I ought to say, as a paint maker, we would generally advise against putting paintings in a 100-degree pizza oven, but it worked because the paint went hard and the Bakelite would char, and then quite brilliantly, Van Meegeren would roll up the canvas over a cylinder to increase the cracks. And so in a matter of hours, he'd managed to speed up and recreate the ageing process of decades and centuries into a few hours or even days. Now, later, he would wash the paintings in a liquid, often toned with a black, which would fill in the crack. And this brilliant technique took some six years to really perfect. But ultimately, these paintings worked on the level of deception rather than brilliant, brilliant artistry. They were OK pictures, but they were brilliant reproductions. Now, Han van Meegeren now needed to test the water. He needed to see how easy it would be to forge a painting and then somehow get it to market in a way that wouldn't arouse suspicions. He knew he would somehow need to be in the loop but wouldn't want his name too close to the front. He wouldn't be taken seriously if he sold it from the shadows, if he hung around a railway station and popped out with a painting under his Macintosh. Well, really, that wouldn't add value. He simply wanted to gently drop the painting into the market. And so his first test painting he used, in a sense, to grease the slipway to see if the method would work to send subsequent forged pictures into the marketplace. The first one was in the style of Vermeer. He called it Lady Reading Music, and then later Lady Playing Music. But he sold neither of these. He just painted them. He hung them on his own walls. He let people see them as if he owned them, but paintings he could barely contemplate parting with. Now, by this time, Van Meegeren thought that forgery itself was a fine form of artistic expression. In fact, he approved of it, and he travelled to Italy to visit the galleries and churches of Rome, taking inspiration from Michelangelo and Caravaggio. He, he produced the supper at Emmaus, and he gave it to a friend who was a respected art attorney, telling him simply that he'd come by a genuine Vermeer and was simply interested to have it valued. Now, the attorney showed it to an art historian in Monaco who declared it a genuine Vermeer. And ironically, it was purchased by the Rembrandt Society and donated to a museum back in his hometown of Rotterdam, where he'd spent so long as an art student. Han had not only received payment for having been involved in the supply, this new scheme had proved workable and he was underway. In 1938, using the proceeds from the first sale, he was able to move to Nice to a 12-bedroom house which had hanging on the wall several genuine old masters when he moved in. These were Dutch masters and so 
he continued with these forgeries at a pace. There was one really frightening moment for uh, our friend Han during this period when police did door-to-door questioning about a local crime. On this occasion, nothing that Van Meegeren was involved in, but they came into the home and they wondered what the unusual smell was and asking to see around the place. Of course, he was compelled to take the police officers down to the cellars. There they saw his large oven and various works of forgery underway, but these two policemen, having no understanding of art, thought it was all terribly genuine, nothing to worry about, and assumed that's how everybody painted and left him to get on with it. Well, Han van Meegeren continued through this period with many religious scenes, and he amassed a fortune continually sending works of art out into the market. Using today's money, his fortune was estimated to be 25 to $30 million. He purchased property, jewellery, works of art. He may have been exaggerating, but he was becoming to really become rather boastful. And one interviewer, he said in 1946, that he owned 52 houses and 15 country manors. Now, whilst his lifestyle and his debauchery and his immorality and crime knew no bounds, here we reach the really interesting part. Whilst he was later brought to trial, the one feature or event that did warm him to the general public in Holland was that during the German occupation of the Netherlands, one of Han van Meegeren's agents sold one of his forged Vermeers to a Nazi bank. And can you believe it? This pretty poor painting got sold and given and bequeathed and somehow made its way up higher and higher through the echelons of the Nazi party, right through the ranks of German aristocracy and wartime power. Now, really, along the way, this should have been spotted as a forgery because now... Mr. Man van Meegeren was chain-smoking, drinking so heavily and was addicted to morphine and really was producing pretty ropey work. But because there were so few genuine Vermeer paintings available, no one said anything. Or at least no one was brave enough to say anything. By an awkward twist of events, the painting was hanging at a particular party venue where Hermann Goring spotted it. He fell in love with it thinking it was genuine. He then purchased it and it was sent for safekeeping along with other looted art of far more genuine and and greater value to an Austrian salt mine in May of 1945. Well, this was a nail-biting time. The end of the war was good news generally for the Netherlands, but not for Van Meegeren, because he knew that the forged artwork was eventually going to reappear. Once the works of art were bought out of the salt mine by the Allies, of course they were identified and each one was traced back to its rightful owner or for people that might have been involved in the looting and theft of these works of art. And the twist is that Han van Meegeren was arrested on the 29th of May 1945, not for forgery. He was charged with fraud and aiding and abetting the Nazis. It was this understanding, the assumption that the painting was real, that made Han complicit 
in looting paintings primarily from Jewish owners and thereby assisting the Nazi regime that had plundered wealth from so many. And it was this particular accusation that was brought to the court rather than the crime of forgery. He was tried initially for being a collaborator and as a plunderer of Dutch cultural property, for which Van Meegeren was facing the death penalty. So he was in a very sticky situation because he really, at this point, realised his only hope was to admit that he'd been a forger all along. And so in court he said the painting in Hermann Goring's ownership is not, as you assume, by Vermeer of Delft, but by myself, Van Meegeren, and I painted the picture. Now he was detained during court proceedings whilst the paintings were investigated, but initially the court did not believe him. So much so that he was, in the end, really clutching at straws, he offered to make a painting to produce what was in effect his last forgery to show the court what a skilful artist and forger he was. People were sent to get his various apparatus, his large oven, the Bakelite powder, his uh, homemade uh, paints. All of it was brought together and whilst he was detained in court custody he started on his last forgery between July and December 1945 in the presence of approved court onlookers. He forged one last painting to avoid the death penalty. The irony is that he took this desperate route because so many critics refused to come to his aid, partly because they'd been so humiliated by him when as a young, younger man he wrote so rudely about them all, but partly because they too had been fooled, they'd been taken in, and their own pride and credibility and standing had been so badly damaged and for that perhaps I suspect that some of them actually wanted him to hang. Well he produced his forgery to the satisfaction of the court and he got away with his life. They also found his chemicals and the apparatus rang true. He was able to prove that it all worked. He then had to face the lesser charge of simply being a common crook guilty of fraud for which he was found guilty and sentenced to one year. He convinced his the court that his wife, second wife Jo, had nothing to do with it, so she was allowed to go free and indeed to keep substantial wealth. Over the years, Han van Meegeren's work have continued to attract fascination and they've been tested further. Even as latterly as 1977, his work was tested again as some felt that there was a possibility that he'd admitted forgery for all of the works that were associated with him simply to avoid death. But perhaps amongst them there were one or two stolen genuine articles. But no, they, has, they found that all of his work indeed was forgery. He wasn't a pleasant man. He wasn't a lovable rogue, 
he sent a copy of copy of his own book to Adolf Hitler. There's nothing here about the man that is remotely appealing. He bought up several homes from Jewish families who'd been deported. He was a serial womanizer. He was incapable of honesty. A few at the time perceived him as generous and a couple said he was affectionate, but he was overrun by addiction and poor life decisions. It's not really something that I'll ever know or understand if he forged because he felt misunderstood and undervalued or because he needed the income. I don't know. But one account, however, said that his finest moment was this. When Hermann Goring, according to a contemporary account, was informed that his beloved Vermeer painting was actually a forgery, the onlooker said that Hermann Goring looked so shocked that anyone could be so dishonest. It was as if for the first time he had discovered that there was evil in the world. For that alone, for that moment of humiliation, Van Meegeren achieved at least one good thing. Thanks for listening. Do follow us again when we produce more podcasts from Cranfield, colour like no other.